Well, good morning, Mount Hope. Right. Well, it's been a little while since they've let me out of the youth group, so I'll try my very hardest to not yell at you to be quiet every two to three minutes involuntarily. So, uh, anyways, <clears throat> I know there's been a lot of buzz this morning all right, about me preaching, and everyone's excited about going home early, uh, you know. So that's pretty much everyone. I heard you're preaching today. Oh, I can't wait to get out early. Uh, so it has been a little bit since I've uh, I've given a message. So hopefully my nervousness uh, doesn't uh, propel me, you know, at speeds not comprehensible by regular human ears. Uh, so we're going to try to keep it uh, at a good pace this morning. Uh, if you want to turn your Bibles. Um, to Mark chapter 12, we're going to be kind of, we're going to be reading through the verse 28 to verse 34 section. But before we kind of dig in right there and read that section and go through this morning, I want to kind of set up the situation uh, that's going on there. So, um, Jesus has told them a parable about the, the Pharisees, about the, uh, about their, kind of their misdeeds and their uh, going to kill the owner of the vineyard. They know what he's talking about. Uh, that they're going to kill him. <clears throat> so they're really aggravated at this point. They're committed to doing that very thing, getting rid of Jesus. Okay. So there's a problem in getting rid of Jesus. He's extremely popular with the crowds. Um, he's done lots of miracles. He's fed five thousand and four thousand. He's done many miracles, healing people. So the crowd just loves this guy. They're following him everywhere. And so they're doing these things that they're trying to, they're trying to set traps for him. They're trying to set, uh, give him like these kind of theological riddles or puzzles um, or a political riddle or puzzle that might trip him up so that they can either get him in trouble with the people or they can get him in trouble with uh, the Romans, the political party. So the first kind of thing they give him is uh, they give him a question about uh, taxes, you know, because um, everyone loves talking about taxes. You know, first dates, I know you're always recommended to talk about politics and taxes, those kind of things. Those are always good hits. Uh, so they're asking about, hey, should we pay taxes to Caesar? And their goal here, they don't care. They don't care. They really don't. They don't care what Jesus says. They're not interested in his answer. They're only interested in getting uh, some friction between him and the people. So their goal is, if he says, hey, Hey, uh, you know, hail Caesar, that the people are going to hate him, okay? Or he's going to say, he's going to say, oh, don't pay your taxes. You know, God's the one true God, and Caesar is, Caesar is nothing. And then they can go to Caesar and be like, you know, hey, he's, this guy's trying to incite a riot against you. He's trying to lead a rebellion. So that's their goal. You know, they really don't care what his answer is. They're just looking to manipulate it one way or the other. Well, Jesus, being Jesus, gives a perfect, right, amazing answer. You know, render under Caesar what is Caesar, and render under God's what is God's. And they go, we'll get back to you. <laughs> uh, so that didn't work, so some other people came up to him, the, uh, the Sadducees, and which is interesting, they already don't believe in the resurrection. They don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. Kind of a weird uh, group uh, that doesn't have a whole lot of actual commonality with Pharisaical Jews and things like that. They just have a bunch of really weird beliefs. They don't believe in like, any miracles from the Old Testament. Kind of an interesting group. that They have any kind of like uh, leadership there. But they come and they ask them about uh, the resurrection. And they're like, uh, well, you know, uh, 
What happens if a, a man, you know, they quote the law to him, you know, you know the law, if a, if a man dies and doesn't have a child and his brother is supposed to marry her, well, what if that happens seven times? Because we know this happens, it happens all the time. You know, you know a, a woman's husband dies, they don't have any kids, she has to marry the next guy, the next guy, the next guy. You know, it happens all the time. So it's a very common question. <laughs> and, he, and he basically just kind of blows their argument up. He's like, you guys don't even, you guys don't even believe correctly. He goes, why are you asking me this question? You know, it's just to trip me up. It's, it's just some theological riddle that you think you can tell me that I would then have some, look stupid in front of the crowd. So you could say, oh, Jesus doesn't know everything he says he knows. Well, again, Jesus answers them correctly and says, hey, you know, you don't even think right. You don't even know the power of God. Uh, God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. So... In this kind of debate that they're having, so they're having, I'm sure there's probably more of these things going on. These are the two that got, uh, got in the story. There's probably a little bit more of this going on. And uh, I don't know how many of you, uh, you know, entertain yourself with the uh, highly entertaining <laughs> debate watching. I don't know how many of you watch debates. Uh, it's probably, all of you are probably just going to go home after this and turn on the DVR and be like, ah, there's a debate on tonight that I was wanting to watch. Um, but there's some good ones out there. I mean, like, uh, Ken Ham and, uh, Bill and I have some good debates. And there's some really good debates between, like, some atheists and, uh, Christians. And it's really, good. they're actually kind of interesting. Uh, but the debate is not for the people who are debating. Like, they're already firmly entrenched in their camps. Okay? They're obviously going to our, you know, probably hundreds of hours of research to present their debate. So the debate is usually for the benefit of the audience, those listening, trying to sway one way or the other. So in Mark chapter 28, <clears throat> we have this teacher of the law. And he hears them debating. So now he's, he's a little bit of a different flavor than these other guys. He's not uh, trying to catch Jesus in a, a trap. He just hears Jesus' answers and is like, man, this guy knows what's going on. We know earlier in Scripture, it kind of talks about, I mean, Jesus taught with such authority. It was so different than all the other teachers. So this teacher of the law notices Jesus' answers. He's like, man, these guys, I mean, these are tough questions. You're not tripping this guy up. He probably knows what's up. So he's interested. So we're going to come in here at, at Mark chapter 12, verse 28. And this teacher of the law has heard them debating. And at, at this point, has some respect for Jesus and his answers. So he's going to come like kind of as a seeker a little bit. Like, hey, you know, like I think this guy knows what's going on in scriptures. So I'm going to see if he really has some, you know, meat here. So one of the verse 28. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked Jesus, "Of all the commandments, which one is the most important?" The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So, uh, sorry. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so, he comes to Jesus and he's asking Jesus a sincere question. He's not trying to trip him up. He's actually, I think, wanting to kind of gauge Jesus' understanding of Scripture. And so Jesus, obviously here, as, as before, is answering correctly. We hear the words of Jesus, okay? And if Jesus is going to tell us the most important command, 
we should probably take it serious that this is the most important command. Okay? These are, these are Jesus' words. This is his understanding of Old Testament Scripture. And this is him telling us, this is the most important command. And the second most important command. So we have some heavy weight. If we stop and kind of look at it just for what it is, there's a, a gravity here. That Jesus said, this is the most important. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't try to... This isn't a trick question. This isn't a trap. You know, he's, not, he's actually trying to give biblical understanding to this teacher of the law and give him the true answer of what is the most important command in Scripture. And it's interesting. This is from... Uh, Jesus is actually quoting Old Testament here. He's not just making up some new law uh, or saying, you know, I'm trying to like boil down all everything for you. No, he's just he's quoting Old Testament Scripture. He's back in Deuteronomy chapter 6. He's quoting verse 4 here. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, all your strength. So Jesus adds mind. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down at night. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So, <clears throat> verses 4 through, we go through 7 there. That's actually part of the, the Jewish uh, Shema thing. I, I think I'm pronouncing it correctly. I, I'm sure I am. You know, 2022, barely know English. I can probably say Hebrew words. Fine. Uh, it's the Shema. So, th- they actually say this. <laughs> Interestingly enough, they say it when he tells them to say it. It's become a part of like, kind of like their Lord's Prayer. Like, when they get up in the morning, they say it. They lay down at night. They say it. It's the Shema. Like it's a, it's a preferred like set prayer that they say every day because the law says, say it. Now we're going to kind of get into how that gets lost over time. But these, I mean, he's at what's the most important law? I mean, they say it every day. But the majority of the people seem to be missing out completely on what how this is actually the law as opposed to all the other tiny little laws they're talking about. So we're going to break this down a little bit more. Uh, love of the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So it's, if, if God's command to us is to love Him, then it's important to understand what it was love. Uh, there's a song that was written about it. It's not a hymn. We probably won't sing it today. But uh, it tells us what love is. <laughs> um, so we can find out what love is through the scriptures. We can find it through context in, in life. Paul does this sometimes with giving us examples on how kind of things really work. Uh, you can find it. Um, <clears throat> the, just the theme of the Bible itself is really that of God loving his people. So it, it's very multifaceted. It's not just like, you know, love is love. That's kind of a phrase that doesn't mean anything, right? Like, hey, what is a, what, what's a church pew? I've never been to church pew. Oh, a pew is a pew. Okay, that doesn't, you're not allowed to do that. I learned that in English class. If you're going to define a word, you can't use the word to define the word. It doesn't make any sense. Okay? So when people say love is love, you just say, well, that's dumb. Uh, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> okay? You, you have my permission to tell them that. Uh, so it's important for us to understand, you know, what love is. 1 Corinthians 13 does an excellent job, 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 does an excellent job of breaking down love. Now I'll speak to you the most excellent way. Uh, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but I have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. 
by the gift of prophecy and can fathom mysteries and knowledge. And I have a faith that can move mountains, but I have not love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but I have not love, I gain nothing. So we can see here Paul setting up how important love is. Loving the Lord your God. Even in doing all these things, if you're not loving the Lord properly, these manifestations of obedience aren't even really doing anything for you. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. It does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. It never fails. Prophecies, they cease, tongues are stilled, uh, knowledge passes away. But uh, at the very end he says, but the greatest of these, are, now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. So we have these things that love is, okay? And we're going to talk about what love is not a little bit. But uh, love is all these, ama- like, it's, it's patient, it's kind, okay? It, it, it's not you first, it's the other first, okay? It doesn't get angry easy. It tells the truth. It perseveres through difficult things. We can also learn about love through context a little bit. Like in a marriage. Everyone here is familiar with, with marriage. Okay? Now, <clears throat> we know when we take our vows, you know, we're, we say we're going to love each other in sickness and in health. Okay? But, I don't need, <laughs> I don't, I don't need a list of like laws exactly to know how to love my wife. You know what I mean? It's not like when I leave in the morning, I have to check, oh, oh, you know what? I can't cheat on my wife today. I got to remember that. I love her, so I can't, I can't, I'm always forgetting that one. You know, I mean, that sounds extreme, but that's kind of where we're at. You know, hyperbole, you know, Jesus uses hyperbole as examples sometimes. We'll, we'll look at that later as well. But like, we don't need that. We don't need laws like that because we're, I'm loving my wife. Okay. More, more than likely, some things that do get in the way that maybe I did, do need to write down is, you know, maybe sometimes I don't need to put myself first over her. I think we've all been guilty of that a time or two, putting ourselves first and somebody in front of our spouse. Okay? But we don't necessarily need, like, a list of rules on love. Like, when we're actively loving our spouse or in that marriage relationship... We kind of we know if we're loving our wife correctly or loving our spouse correctly, we're just doing the things that come along with that vow. You know? We're not lusting after other people. You know, we're we're not putting ourselves first. We're not putting them down. We're not talking at them derogatory. We're not being mean to them. You know? It's like those are the things that should come natural if we're just actively loving our wife like we're supposed to. Like we say in that vow. You know, if we need the rules to help us understand, then maybe we don't really have a good grasp on what love is. Maybe we're not really loving our spouse at all. If I have to be reminded, oh yeah, I should put her first. Oh, man. I should be putting her first. Every day I gotta remember that. You know? Because I just keep forgetting. Maybe we're not really loving our spouse the way we're supposed to be. Okay? And we can apply that same thought process to God. If we're just looking at the laws and just say, oh, I checked off this law, I checked off that law, I checked off this law. I think we mentioned it in uh, Sunday school this morning. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't murder anybody. 
So I must love God. <laughs> you know, now I, I swore at them and flipped them off and cut them off in traffic, but I didn't murder them, so I'm definitely loving my neighbor because I didn't, you know, don't get mad at me. I didn't murder you. Calm down. You know, I followed the letter of the law. didn't murder you, so I must be loving you. <laughs> no, it's, it's much more natural to, if you're loving them, you're not going to do any of those things to them. You know, you're going to just like, you know, be thankful that you didn't get in the wreck. Okay, sometimes your wife might reach over and try to honk the horn for you. Uh, I'm not ever saying that's ever happened in my vehicle, but uh, you know, you may infer from Amanda's laughter that that definitely may or may not have happened. So I'm not, I don't, I just don't have, I don't really have road rage. Uh, so, anyways, um, <clears throat> so the scripture helps us, the Bible helps us, context helps us understand that love is more than. Love is more than just completing the law. Loving, by default, helps us complete that law. For instance, if we look at if we look at Adam in the garden, he has he has a rule. He has one rule. You know, you wouldn't think he'd mess it up, but he did. Uh, anyways, he's got one he's got one rule. But if we really look at the heart of it. It wasn't just about breaking that rule. It wasn't just that rule. You know? It was that in that moment, he lost his love for God. If he, was, if he was in love with God, he wouldn't even dream of doing it. He would, no way! <laughs> you know, I trust God completely in what he says. I love him. He loves me. We're in a great relationship with the creator of the world, why would I ever jeopardize that? No way. It wouldn't even enter his mind. Same way with us. If we are following this command to love God and we're doing that actively, you know, seeking him first, we're in that relationship with him, you know, walking in step by step and loving him, these things, the law, like, like it's just fulfilled. It's just happening. We're just not doing that stuff. We're just not doing it. We've got to get it in the right order. Loving God. And those things just come right along with it. Now we're going to look at the second part he says. The second. Alright. There is a first. And there is a second. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Um, 1 John chapter 4 verse 21. Is going to. Help us here a little bit. So many bookmarks. <clears throat> and God has given us, He, and God has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So we can see here, we can see some correlation between law one and law two. If we're really loving God, He's going to help us to love others. It's kind of part of the package. Okay, If we're loving God, we're also winning others toward Him. Okay? Loving God includes loving others. But he's going he's gonna to give us this command secondarily to love others. Romans 13, uh, verse 8. See, we heard that Tom kind of stole, stole my thunder a little bit from me in, in uh, Sunday school, but I forgive him. It's fine. Uh, let no debt remain, remain outstanding um, except for the continuing debt to love one another. 
For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. Here we go, we're talking about it again. If you're loving your brother, you're fulfilling the law. The commandments, don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't covet, and whatever other commandments there may be. This is kind of like, whatever. Whatever there is. You know, whatever other commandments you want to, you want to throw in there of the 200 and some odd commandments there are about people-to-people relationships, this covers it. If you're loving your neighbor, if you're loving others, these commandments... They're summed up in this rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. See, we're coming back to this theme, right? That love is the fulfillment of the law. That if we're less concerned about, you know, this is kind of that forest for the trees analogy. Okay, all the trees and trees are the laws. And if we go to a tree, like, oh, I like this tree, I like that tree, that tree is weird, we're not going to talk about that tree, it's a weird law, we don't like that law. Okay, we get lost. And the Pharisees kind of got lost in this area a little bit. They're picking out laws and laws and laws, and they're missing it, the whole forest. They can just have the whole forest. If they're just really loving God and loving others, it's all taken care of. It's all in that forest. It's all there. Okay? And again here, this is an important part I think today in today's culture. It's crucial to understand what love is. Okay? We're going to take a peek back at Corinthians 13 a little bit. Talking about love. <clears throat> um, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. In today's culture, we have a And maybe it's not just today's culture. Maybe it's from the beginning of time. I don't know. But I'm alive right now and I see it happening now. So it's happening today as well. Love has been transformed. The word love has been transformed into acceptance. Okay? That you love someone by telling them everything they're doing is fantastic. And that it's okay. Whatever it may be. We're not even going to... It doesn't matter what it is. If it's wrong, if it's hurtful, if it's harmful, if it's sin, that's not God's love. It's not. It's just not. And for us to say anything otherwise, you know, is it's deceitful. It's 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 wrong. We're not going to harm others. We're not going to lift up sinful acts. That's not loving God. You know, telling people that sinful acts are okay to love them, you know, or to protect them, is breaking the first law. Because our first law, our greatest command, is to love God. And within loving God, we have keeping His commands. And having His truth. And everything that's a part of Him is a part of us. And we're going to love others. And sometimes loving others can look really, can look really difficult. Because as Christians, we're called to suffering. We're going to face suffering. We're going to face persecution. We're going to face those things. But I think it's going to be more, I think it's going to be, we'll be more able to face those persecutions if we know we're in step with God's truth and we're loving God. And that includes not not being okay with sin. Because that's not going to happen. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. 
Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, and this breaks, verse 16 breaks it down really, really nicely. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Okay? We're, by not agreeing with what they do, that's scriptural. That's loving God. We can love the person and call out sin via God's truth in their life. We can do that. We have the scriptural authority to do that and we have the, we have the command to do that. That's us loving God first. Okay? Because that's the world. The cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, the boasting of what he has and what he does. The things he's boasting about. The actions that he's doing that are not sinful. That's the world. We can't love it. We can't love that. It is impossible. If we love that, that's the world. And if we love that, we don't love the Father. And it's imperative to understand how, we, how that interacts. Because we have to love others, but we can't have that above loving God. Loving God is first. I think there's, a, I think there's perhaps a, a, a cultural uh, pandemic that has put the loving others as number one above loving God. We, we tell everyone that God loves them. He does. I'm not trying to, <laughs> not trying to, you know, bring you a new scripture here this morning that God doesn't love everyone. He does. But God tells us how His love operates. Okay, His love operates in sub, such a miraculous and amazing way that He wants to bring us out of sin, not condone sin. I mean, the very sacrifice of Jesus, you know, is superfluous if sin doesn't matter. Sin's a big deal. That's why Jesus had to die. That's why Jesus died for us. So we could get rid of that and have communion with God. And we could love Him more closely. And have that relationship we're supposed to have with Him. When we, when we cheapen that because we want to love others before God, that's what we're doing. We're, we're cheapening that sacrifice that God made through Jesus. And it's very, very, very important to understand how that dichotomy works. Uh, in Luke chapter 14, verse 26, Jesus said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Well, Mick, that must mean that the Bible contradicts itself. You know, one time he says you're supposed to love your brothers and sisters, and another time he says you're supposed to hate them. I guess I'll just go home. <laughs> no, I mean, Jesus is using hyperbole here. He's, he's teaching us the difference between law one and law two. You're supposed to love God so much that it looks like you hate everybody else. But you're supposed to love everybody else. That's <laughs> what it is. And if you're loving someone else so much that you're okay with their sin, then you're not loving them correctly. And in, by way of doing that, you're not loving God. 
The Pharisees did this. He, Jesus accused them of this very thing. You're putting traditions. You're putting all these other things in front of this command. Listen, you're saying this every night. The Shema. You're saying it in the morning. You're saying it in the evening. You're doing a bunch of laws, but Jesus also said to them, the devil is your father. Well, I don't want the devil to be my father. And so it's of the utmost importance that we understand and get a full grip of what it means to love God first. And when we love God first with everything, our heart, mind, soul, strength, with our thoughts, with our being, with what we do, with who we are, we will love others appropriately. Because that second law, which is very, very, very important, number two, it will be filtered through that first law. The way it's supposed to be. And I think we'll love more effectively if we filter our love of others through the love of God. I think we will be. I think God promises that. Okay? That's where we're going to end it today. And it's really just a reminder. Because we all know. Pharisees knew. They said it every day. We love God. We love others. Sometimes things can be easy in word, but difficult in practice. And so this is something that we have to really continue to be in constant communion with God. God, I want to love you correctly. Show me that way. Help me discern, you know, which things in my life are results of loving you and which things are not. So I can more closely focus on the things that do love you. Lord, help me to love others in the right way. Help me to be kind, but yet truthful. Help me to be loving, but yet not let sin acceptable. That's our prayer this morning. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, um, thank you for your scripture uh, this morning. Thank you for the words of Jesus to remind us that the most important thing in the whole wide world is to love you. God, if we've got a set of morals, let them be built upon that one truth to love you with everything that we have. And we know that the things that come after that will be honoring to you. We'll be fulfilling the law by fulfilling that one command. Help us as we go from here, Lord, that this isn't... Uh, just an idea. Help us to put this into practice as we leave these doors this morning. Uh, that we might, you might show us a more perfect way to love you. To show us where we fall short in this area. Help us, Lord, to love others in the right way. Help us to implement all the things that love are. Help us to implement those to other people. Lord, and if, if you're behind us and showing us how to love correctly, Lord, we believe that um, hearts and minds will change. Because we'll be loving them in such a manner, like Christ loved us, that they'll see our love for you. <laughs> and then they'll taste and see that the Lord is good. Well, that's our prayer today, that we leave here loving you even more than we did when we came in. Thank you for your just reminders through Scripture, for your example set through Christ, uh, for displaying your love and grace to us through the words of the Bible. Help us to just um, bring that out to others as well. We ask that you be with us as we go from this place. 
Uh, thank you for just a, a wonderful morning this morning. Thank you for who you are, Lord. For your divinity, for your majesty, for your glory, for everything that you are. Thank you for loving us and sending Jesus for us in our forgiveness. And it's in his name we pray this morning. Amen.